Presents Spooky South Ghost with your hosts Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa. Good evening, welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, the silent assassin Matt Costa, and science advisor Matt Moniz here as well. And we are here to talk about the paranormal, as we are each and every Saturday night. We are here to talk about everything from uh, hauntings to UFO and alien encounters to just. All kinds of strange and unusual things. Uh, last week we talked about the Lizzie Borden case uh, with our guest Faye Musselman. And I've gotten a lot of response uh, to that episode. People saying, gee, it was nice to actually hear some of the the facts of the case. You know, listening to Spooky South Coast and other paranormal radio shows and, and visiting paranormal websites, a, a lot of our listeners had heard all about the hauntings, but they hadn't heard, you know, the background story. So... And, of course, uh, we do have that magazine article coming out at uh, the end of September. Uh, SoCo Magazine will have a, a feature on the investigation we did there. So you're going to want to check that out. But also, uh, just every time you have the opportunity to get into that place with something like Ghost Hunters University, which is coming up there uh, in September as well, take the chance. You know, Rent a room, stay there for the night, and, and see if you experience anything, and let us know because we're in the process of uh, – continuing investigation of, of the house and we'd like to hear more first-hand encounters so you can email us at spooky crew at spooky or leave a message on our message board at spooky if you have any experiences or have had any experiences there but tonight we're going to shift gears and we're going to talk to somebody who you might have heard him on coast to coast last month uh, just a really interesting interview he was just a first hour guest um, prior to an open line show and and sometimes you know, that's listening to that show, and I know I'm not supposed to really talk about it because we don't carry it here on, on WBSM, but when you listen to that show, a lot of people are, you know, they can't wait for those Friday night open lines because that's just when it gets really crazy. You know, you never know what you're going to hear. You never know if Oscar the, the demon is going to call in or, or whatever's going on. But a, a lot of times the first hour guests, to me, are the ones that are just really interesting on those nights, and it almost seems like you want them to have more time. And so uh, our guest tonight was one of those first-hour guests uh, last month, and I'm glad that tonight we're able to give him more time and we can hear some more of his encounters and experiences. Father Daniel Gargilio is a practicing exorcist and a priest of the Byzantine Catholic Church. He's the founder of Gargoyles Occult Investigations, and he assists law enforcement in the investigation of satanic cults, ritual abuse, and other occult crime. Father Gargilio resides in Baltimore, Maryland, and has previously appeared on Coast to Coast AM with George Norrie, as well as the Learning Channel series Weird Worlds and other broadcasts and print media. And you can check out his website at drgargoyle.com. That's drgargoyle.com. So why don't we bring up Father Gargilio? Good evening, Father. Welcome to Spooky South Coast. Good evening. And uh, it's just interesting to to hear. We've talked to uh, Keith Johnson, John Zaffis, you know, these are some of the people that are, are out there in the media as being uh, investigators into the occult and into the demonic side of things. Yeah. And to, to hear somebody with a new set of experiences and a new set of investigations to talk about, it's just we, we feel very lucky to be able to, to have you on here and, and give you time to really get into some of this stuff. Well, I'm honored that you would have me on. 
Uh, now, when did it, when exactly did you get involved in paranormal investigating? I've always been interested in the paranormal and religion. I had the Time Life books, of course, when they first came out, and all of those things. But really, Gargoyle Investigations, I found it in 1984. I was only 15 years old at the time. I had just graduated high school. I actually graduated a bit early. And uh, just decided to bring my interests together into something called Gargoyle Occult Investigations. We called it occult investigations at the time instead of paranormal investigations because at that time the type of paranormal investigator like you see being so prolific these days didn't quite exist quite as much. There mm -hmm. was Dr. Hans Holzer, there were Ed and Lorraine Warren, but um, it pretty much was a more open field at the time. And, and even if there were investigators available, there wasn't this networking that the Internet has brought us where everybody can connect with one another and, and hear about cases. It was kind of almost like, you know, you didn't take out an ad in the phone book, so you, you needed somebody to uh, get the word out about you. If somebody used you for an investigation, they could tell somebody else that was having a problem. Indeed, yeah. And so when exactly uh, did you become uh, an actual priest of the Byzantine Catholic Church? That was in... Uh 1991, at the time, I was studying at a little thing called Ambassadors College in Allentown, Pennsylvania, which was actually a series of classes held at a metaphysical bookstore called um, Cosmic Visions Limited. And I came into contact with a gentleman who was a bishop in New York. His name was Bishop Jason Fox, the bishop of the Byzantine Rite Catholic Church. And he said that he recognized in me the ability of what St. Paul the Apostle called discernment of spirits, which is the possibility of telling when one is in the presence of a spirit and whether the spirit is divine or demonic. So it's and, like um, it's, you have a natural gift to sense what's, what's good and evil. Yes. And uh, Bishop Jason invited me to the priesthood. It actually wasn't something that I had been striving for at the time, though I was interested in the religious life. Perhaps I thought eventually I would get into something more in a, a monasterial type life, religious order. But um, he invited me into the priesthood. It's a, um, a lineage of the Byzantine Rite Church. It has valid apostolic Succession. I know people aren't as familiar with the Byzantine Church as we are, of course, with the Roman Catholic Church. It is in communion. We believe we are in communion with the Roman Catholic Church, but we have some traditions of our own which differ. Well, what are some of the, the differences? The Byzantine Catholic Church, like all of the Rome or all of the Eastern Rite churches, have more of a focus on mysticism. Mm -hmm and things of that sort than, than on the, uh, the uh, structure of the church, which rightfully so is more of the focus of the Roman church. And, and so does that, I mean, knowing the differences between the two types of churches, uh, or the two branches of the church, can you see, you know, one being more conducive to, Accepting the parent because we you know we've heard stories for years now and until recently until the latest pope uh, came into um, control 
that you know the exorcisms and the paranormal was something that the church wasn't really recognizing. Now it's kind of been thrust back into the forefront. But do you think that maybe the Byzantine uh, church, the Byzantine—I don't know if you'd call it a, a branch or a, a denomination of it—we call it a, a rite. Okay, all right. So the Byzantine rite is that more uh, accepting of the paranormal phenomena? Is that more willing to 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 accept it and to to discuss it? Yes, I would say that's fair to say. They're more open towards it. In the Byzantine Rite Church, for instance, a priest doesn't have to get permission directly from his bishop and uh, the hierarchy of the church before performing an exorcism, as uh, as is so in the Roman Church, where it's really a, a much less it's much less often done because of that. So and, and was that more the uh, was that more the right that you were pulled toward in your religious beliefs before uh, meeting Bishop Fox? Did it have yes. similar with your philosophies and, yes, and your beliefs? I, I was familiar with it and being more inclined towards uh, mysticism. It, it it did seem to go well with my beliefs. I was brought up in the Roman Catholic Church, being uh, Irish Italian, uh, but. Uh, the uh, Byzantine Rite, also sometimes called the Greek Catholic Church, was was definitely more in, in tune with my own uh, interests in religion and then in the paranormal. And, and so, when you first started in, in 1984 uh, doing these investigations, uh, at what point did you start to realize, or did you always believe, that there was something to this idea of the demonic realm? I, at the time, when the media was really big on reporting the cases of satanic ritual abuse and that sort of thing, and while I was also interested in investigating the the possible criminal aspects of that, I also studied the uh, spiritual background of it and became familiar with things like Anton LaVey's Church of Satan and uh, his book, The Satanic Bible, and things of that sort. Uh, the older books of Aleister Crowley, and The Order of the Golden Dawn, past connections with Freemasonry, and all of the things of that sort. And um, that basically brought me around to studying more about Exorcism, demonic possession, the works of Ed and Lorraine Warren in the demonology field, and of uh, Father Malachi Martin, mm-hmm. the, uh, probably the most famous exorcist, at least of the 20th century. I mean, it, it always it always seems like there's that one point where you start to realize that these Satanists aren't just a bunch of you know long-haired heavy metal teenagers out playing around in the woods that they're actually worshipping something, and there's a reason they're worshipping it, because it, it has power, and it has power over them. Yes, I do believe that, and they really, especially the members of uh, Anton LaVey's Church of Satan, really go to extremes to say that when it comes right down to it, they really don't believe in these things, but I, I think that they actually do, and whether they do or not, there's a, there's a saying, I like to repeat, whether or not you believe in the devil, the devil believes Mm-hmm. So now you started to in- investigate these these cults and 
and some of the activity that was going on and we, we I mean what were you doing to protect yourself against them if you weren't already you know for 7 years you weren't actually uh ordained so I mean what did you do to protect yourself just as a layman Well while the uh actual right of exorcism as a right in the Catholic Church can only be performed by an ordained priest. There are other rites, such as the smaller rite of exorcism and the prayer to St. Michael the Archangel, which can be said by anyone. These two in particular were written by Pope Leo XIII, who in the year 1884 had a vision of Jesus and Satan discussing with each other in a discussion very much in the vein of that found in the opening chapters of the book of Job in the Old Testament, and for that matter in uh, Goethe's Faust, where um, Pope Leo heard Satan basically say to Jesus, I can destroy your church if you will give me leave to try. And Jesus answered him, how much, basically, how much time do you want? And Satan said, within about 75 to 100 years. And Jesus gave him leave to try during the 20th century, basically, to do what he could to destroy the church. And after having this vision, Pope Leo wrote the, uh, the prayer to St. Michael the Archangel and the smaller rite of exorcism, which any person, uh, lay person or priest, can recite as an exorcism or prayers against evil spirits and the work of Satan. So so the idea would be that because Jesus gave leave to Satan, it would be a way for common people to be able to protect themselves and to, to help fight against Satan? Yes. So, and now, with that time period passed, though, uh, well, I mean, I guess you could, you could say that it's passed, because you said it was the 20th century, but now that this has been able to go into people's lives and, and they've realized that they can fight, you know, demons on an everyday level, as you did. Um, what do you think the status is of, of that attempt? I mean, do you think that we're holding off evil, or do you think that we're, it's just biding its time? Well, I don't believe that Satan destroyed the church, because Christ at the beginning said that the church he founded on St. Peter would, would last, and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. So far, so good. And... And I don't believe that Satan destroyed the church, but obviously there have been some very serious problems in the Catholic Church, mm -hmm. especially over the last uh, more than a few years now. But, I mean, is that more from Satan's influence, or is that just the, the fallibility of man? Both. Uh, Satan, more than anything, makes use of the fallibility of man. True. And, of course, because man and his pride in many cases won't admit that he's fallible. That's the main tool, I think, that Satan uses and such. Well, once you became uh, ordained, was there a difference in your approach and philosophy to not only investigations of the occult and the demonic, but just the paranormal in general? Uh, I wouldn't say a difference. I would say... Uh, Perhaps the focus changed some. It became more focused specifically towards the demonic mm -hmm. and uh, demonic possession and exorcism when before 
there's been more in general uh, hauntings, from hauntings to UFO sightings to conspiracy theories, the whole thing, which I'm still interested in, of course, but it became more focused towards the, uh, the exorcism field. Well, if anybody out there has any questions for Father Gargilio, you can give us a call at 508-996-0500 or 508-291-0500. We'll have the phone lines open all throughout the show so you can call in and, and ask questions or, or share any experiences you might have had with the demonic. And uh, Now, Matt Moniz, our science advisor, is here with us, and uh, he has um, he's had his encounters with, with the demonic realm. And, and I remember him saying to us uh, early on uh, in this program, saying that, you know, people that get involved in, in ghosts and, and hauntings, they're kind of just sticking their feet into the kiddie pool of the paranormal, and when you start coming up against these things, you know, that's when you start to really realize there's a whole lot going on that we don't understand. Yeah, you get more into the deep end when you're dealing with the demonic, because unlike, you know, ghosts and what have you, they'll stay wherever they're at, you know, haunting. Mm -hmm. A demon can have the ability to follow you home. And uh, they, they'll mess with your life in more ways than uh, a spirit would, say, in a haunting. And I'm sure uh, the good father would agree with me. Father, have you ever had one of those experiences where, where this demon or, or whatever entity you were, you were dealing with followed you home or, or tried to control your life? Uh, yes, and I would, I would very much agree, yes. Um, I've had several experiences of that sort. In my case, the uh, gift of the discernment of spirits has been very helpful in that case, being able to, to detect the presence of a demonic spirit before, before it can fully manifest helps to uh, avoid that type of thing. But, yes, that is definitely... Uh, when you say when you say before it begins to manifest, I mean, are you looking at the, um, you know, the generally accepted the three stages of, of the demonic attack um, that you can kind of recognize it even when it's in the the beginning stages, when it's in the uh, infestation stages, and it's starting to try to gain a foothold, trying to gain trust. You can kind of tell right away, hey, you're dealing with something that you know isn't who it says it is. Yes, from certain evidences as well as. My own intuition, I, I can tell in the early stages whether it's um, something more along the demonic lines or a human spirit. And also along the demonic lines, there is a vast hierarchy mm -hmm. of spirits. There are the lower-level demons. There are the higher, what would be called devils, right up to uh, Satan himself. And, of course, in many cases, there, well, actually, there aren't very many demons I don't think that at some time or another haven't claimed to be Satan themselves. They tend to do that during possession. Well, I guess Something uh, I've particularly noticed. <laughs> They're going for the shock factor. Yes. So I think we have a call on the line for you, Father. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. How are you doing? Hello, it's Keith. Hello, Keith. Hello. I'd like to welcome your guest very much. Father Gargilio, are you familiar with uh, Keith Johnson, demonologist and, and paranormal investigator with uh, New England Anomalies Research? Yes, the name is very familiar, yes. I'd like to welcome you, Father. Good evening, sir. It's good to hear you, and uh, 
I agree with uh, everything you're saying. It's, um, it very much rings true, especially, especially about uh, demonic entities claiming to be Satan. They, they seem to like to, because they're of the satanic hierarchy and of the satanic minions, that they claim the right that they are of Satan, so they claim to be Satan. And, of course, there is the shock value in that, too, as Matt pointed out. Yeah. But uh, you speak a lot of wisdom and uh, very Thank much you. agree with what you're saying. And uh, I hope to keep in contact with you. I really would like to establish contact with you very much. Well, that would be great. Well, uh, of course, anybody that wants to, to find out more about uh, Father Gargilio can go to his website, drgargoyle.com. That will be linked up on spookysouthcoast.com. But, uh, yeah, I'd really be interested in, in we, we have a case that we're working on that uh, – we're kind of keeping under wraps right now, but I'd be interested in, in bringing Father Gargilio in. Of course, Keith, you're going to be involved too. Yes. But, uh, bringing Father Gargilio in and seeing if he, can, if he can use the gift of discernment to help us kind of speed along the process of, of determining whether or not this is a demonic entity. Mm-hmm. So, uh, well, I mean, Keith, in, in your experiences, uh, how, how hard is it for you to, to try to determine if something's demonic or not? Usually I will know in not you know, it's it's not that difficult. It's uh, these things are very deceptive. But the more you work in this field, the more you get attuned to realizing when something's being deceptive and when it's demonic. The trouble is convincing everybody else that it is. <laughs> you know, because these things are very sly and they're very coy, and you you pretty much know right away. And there's of course different tests. His father will tell you this. Different tests that you can do, this variety of uh, things you can do to force this uh, demonic entity into revealing its true nature, and of course that has to be handled very carefully, especially if uh, there is a demonic entity present that could wreak havoc, and especially in cases of possession, too. Now, Father Gargilio, do you still use those those processes, even though you have the gift of discernment? Yes. Uh, it would depend on the situation, how extreme it has become, whether it's an actual case of possession or obsession, oppression, anything exactly how much evidence you would need. Of course, in the classic cases of possession, you would look for things like uh, I think most people are familiar with now through the motion pictures on the subject anyway, the person speaking in languages that they don't know and have never studied. And of course, supernatural manifestations, any type of levitation, anything of that sort, which is a lot more common than most people would ever realize. What about apportations, things being manifested within the room, appearing within the room that weren't in there before? Yes, definitely. All right, well, Keith, we thank you for checking in. We will definitely uh, we'll put you in touch with the Father, and, and hopefully we can get you guys both into the same location at the same time. Excellent. I look forward to working with him very much. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Good Thanks. night now. Good Thanks, Keith. Yes, that is our that's our, our resident demonologist here at Spooky South Coast. Uh, whenever we need some some help, uh, we call on him because he's he's pretty local. Uh, he's in Rhode Island, and uh, he works with the Atlantic Paranormal Society, and he does his own investigations. So it's he's always just a phone call away for us. But uh, we we do have a local location that you might want to check out. I'll, I'll talk to you about it sometime off the air, Father. All right. Now, using uh, using this gift of discernment, though, I mean, do you find it hard to convince uh, some of the people, some of the other investigators that you're working with, or, or some of the, the clients if you're working on, on a 
on a private case. Uh, or other fellow clergy. Exactly. To, to say, you know, I can, I can tell the difference, and, and I think this. I mean, do you, do you meet a lot of opposition? Do you meet a lot of people saying, well, let's hold on now. Let's not jump right toward the demonic. Actually, it amazes me right now, even though there are some fantastic paranormal investigators out there, and I don't mean to negatively criticize anyone, but it, it, it sometimes amazes me the le- level of skepticism we've attained among some of them who are using, like, uh, buzzwords of skepticism, pretty much. If someone claims they were attacked by a demonic spirit, and, and during their sleep or in their bed, they just say sleep paralysis and dismiss it. It's over. It's almost like we've overanalyzed everything. Yes, and over In some cases, so healthy skepticism, of course, is is good, but it can be overemphasized. Definitely. No, I, I I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you this question, and it's something that we've we've talked about quite a bit on this show, is that there's a lot of paranormal groups now that because. Um, I mean, if you look at the paranormal and you look at, the, like you say, the buzzwords and the different fields of the paranormal and, and radio programs like this and TV programs putting an emphasis on them, it seems like almost every paranormal group is now starting their, their demonology division or they have a, a resident demonologist who might not be you know, best suited for going up against the, the demonic. Their qualifications being they've read a book or two about demons. Exactly. Yeah. I, what do you think is the necessary tools to go into battling uh, the demonic, and not just the demonic, but even the the humans that that worship these entities? Well, first, uh, strong religious faith. That's unfortunately, perhaps unfortunately, I have to say that it's it's not something you should get into unless it's definitely a part of your religious belief, otherwise you're just asking for trouble. I'm not telling anyone that they have to believe as I do, but it does bother me a little as to why someone would want to get into the field of investigating the demonic when they have no, in some cases, have no real religious faith that teaches the belief in the reality of the matter. But I I have encountered that future cannon fodder for them basically and well i mean we've we've uh talked to a, a demonologist in the past who is um he, he's a lay person i mean he's not clergy and, and he believes his name's gary mckinstry and he believes that uh, if you're basically just good and you're a good person and that you just have that faith in some sort of higher power that that's that's enough i mean do you think that that just that type of faith that there is something greater than you uh, that you answer to, and that if you do live positively, that's enough? Or do you think that you need to uh, be uh, devout and you need to follow that path every day? Well, I'm not going to, you know, to go too far in saying that anyone has to believe as I do. But, of mm-hmm. course, within the belief, the teachings of our church, the Catholic Church in general, are that that only an ordained apostolic priest can perform an actual exorcism, the actual rite of exorcism as a rite of the church. Um, But some people misunderstand the basic meaning of priesthood. Priests aren't necessarily more pious than laypersons or 
better in any way than laypersons. They simply have that apostolic lineage that goes back to St. Peter, the apostle. And Christ gave St. Peter and his other apostles the ability, in fact, the charge to cast out demons. And this uh, power was passed on through the apostolic lineages of the church. So that's the only thing that that confers. Um, apart from that, uh, you simply don't want to do anything that would give occasion, what the church calls occasion to sin, for the demons to find a way to grab a hold of your life. But uh, I would say to, to basically to stay in prayer and whatever form of prayer of your faith that is comfortable with you. Um, outside of the Catholic tradition, I also studied with a, a rabbi for three years. And even though it's not much talked about in, in the Jewish religion, there is a great tradition of demonology and exorcism in the Jewish religion as well. Extending back into the Kabbalah. Yes, very much. I was going to say it's a little bit more mystical uh, in their faith. It's not as... You know, I mean, I guess a lot of what we see of exorcism, uh, we're judging based on media, based on movies and books, and you know, uh, the common people such as ourselves don't really understand the religious teachings and the you know the process of the seminary and and how they put the emphasis on it. Do you think that it's it's something that needs to be um, focused on more heading into you know these these times that we're in now? Is it something that needs to be taught more in all branches of religion? It does, but it need, but that needs to be done carefully so that we don't just create more of what you were speaking of before, people thinking that um, here they are, I, I know that now, and here I'm going to go do it, even though they haven't had the proper training and they just aren't ready. So we have to be careful when it comes to teaching these things to just everyone, and I think that's what happens with the church kept a lot of these things secret in order to protect um, lay people from learning too much too fast, but they perhaps kept too much of it back. We have about a, a minute and a half here before the news, but ha have you ever, in, in your experiences and in your investigations, uh, had somebody working with you fighting against the demonic that didn't have that strong faith and, and did eventually break down or, or, or fall prey? Yes, I actually have. I actually had someone who worked with me once who did end up uh, spending some time in a in a mental institution. Wow. And uh, that is pretty common. If you're not uh, ready, that's pretty much what's eventually going to happen. You're either going to uh, end up having psychological problems. Or dead. Or dead, or if you're lucky early, just get out of it completely. All right, well, we are coming up on the CBS News. Uh, but when we come back, we will have our weekly news segment, The Week in Weird, and, and we have uh, an untimely passing to inform you of. Uh, 
uh, somebody close to the spooky South Coast family, no longer with us, and we'll get into that in the week in weird. It's not it's not bad news, folks. Just you, you'll you'll have to just stay tuned for that, and uh, we'll also. Uh, Get back into the discussion, the discussion with Father Daniel Gargilio. And if you want to check out his website, just go to drgargoyle.com, drgargoyle.com. And you can find out more about the services they offer, uh, more about the Byzantine Rite of the Catholic Church, and the, the Prayer of St. Michael as well. So stay tuned, and we will be right back with more here on Spooky South Coast. People start screaming. Turn on all your lights, lock the doors, and pull down the shades. Spooky South Coast is back. I can smell your tears. I'm not afraid. You will be. Welcome back, hour number two of Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin Matt Costa and science advisor Matt Moniz. Matt Costa, how are you doing tonight? We haven't heard from you yet this evening. I'm doing all right. What do you think of our discussion with Father Gargilio? Very interesting. I know that uh, when we first uh, started doing Spooky South Coast, uh, we I think it was our third episode, we had John Zaffis on. And um, that's when I first started to say, oh, wait a minute, Th- these things are real. Demons themselves? Demons themselves. Yeah. I mean, uh, and, until then, I mean, I, I knew that the people who challenged them and, and went went up against them believed in them. Uh, I knew that those who believed in a higher power and, and, and the positivity of, you know, we'll use the term God, but who believed in that had to believe in the in the equal and opposite reaction. But I just always, to me, it really didn't become solidified till I heard these people telling these stories. And, and we're going to talk to Father Gargilly about some of those stories of, of what he's encountered uh, coming up later this hour. And, of course, if you have any questions... You can always uh, give us a call, 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500, and you can share your thoughts or questions with uh, Father Gargilio as well as us. Now, just a couple of notes we want to make you aware of. Uh, first of all, uh, I, I talked to Rob Trembley of CERT, uh, the Spirit Encounter Research Team, uh, earlier this week, and he wants everybody to know that the CERT paraconference, which was scheduled for next month uh, at the I forget the actual location, but on, on Cape Cod, uh, they were going to have the first CERT paraconference. That's been postponed until April. So uh, we'll have more information uh, when it becomes available. Uh, he, he has more guests being added to the lineup, so we'll uh, keep everybody up to date with that on SpookySouthCoast.com. I, I tried to go to the CERT website earlier today. I didn't think it was working. They might uh, be retooling for the new announcement. So. But just stay tuned on our website, and, and we'll let you know when we hear more. Also, the Mass uh, Mystery Tour, which was being put together by John Horgan, the organizer of the uh, Mass Monster Mash Conference, 
that has been postponed until April as well. So uh, stay tuned uh, to our website and also to the massmonstermash.com, .org, .net, .tv, .massmysterytour.com. You know, John just owns every website in the world. He might even own drgargoyle.com. We'll have to ask Father Gargillo if he's sure he has the ownership rights to that or if if uh, John Horrigan swept in and, and picked them up because this man is like a he's like a commodities trader when it comes to URLs. So, But uh, those are a couple of notes we wanted to make you aware of in terms of uh, the upcoming conferences. If you'd like to go to a free lecture on the paranormal, you can go on August 31st to the Cape Cod Community College to hear the Cape and Islands Paranormal Research Society's free open meeting. Strange Entities of the World. Join Justin Smith, investigator for the Division of Cryptozoology for Capers, as he presents Strange Entities of the World. He will captivate you with his creepy crawler of a lecture. He'll talk about creatures of the supernatural, strange phantom beings, and entities of the unknown. He says, quote, These creatures technically and scientifically should not exist, but people across the globe have been reported seeing these things. You'll hear stories of paranormal animals that have been seen throughout history. He'll introduce you to some of these creatures like phantom black dogs, the Mad Gasser, and many more. The lecture will be multimedia, and audience participation is welcome. Uh, it is free. It is at Lecture Hall B of Cape Cod Community College. Uh, refreshments are usually served. They have some great books for sale, and, and you can get their haunted Cape Cod T-shirts there as well. For any more information, you can call Capers President Derek Bartlett at 508-224-7321 or email the Society at capers, C-A-I-P-R-S dot com. So, you know, some of those creatures that, that Justin will be talking about, they, they really are weird. Don't you think so, Matt Costa? Sure. It, Very it, weird. Does it get any weirder than, than crypto creatures? Yeah, I think it does. More bad news. Well, I got a great show for you today with some wonderful weird stuff. The Week in Weird. And as I said uh, before the news, we do have the sad report of, of a passing that we have to share with you. The Weekly World News is no longer with us. That's right. This comes from the Washington Post, but, you know, for some reason, mainstream journalism has been all over this story. Every newspaper was just dying to, to print the story about how the fall of the Weekly World News took place this past week, but this is the Washington Post version. Somewhere in Kalamazoo, Elvis weeps. The Weekly World News is folding. The Weekly World News was not one of those sleazy tabloids that covered tawdry celebrity scandals. Instead, it was a sleazy tabloid that covered events that seemed to occur in a parallel universe, a fever dream world where pop culture mixed with urban legends, conspiracy theories, and hallucinations. Maybe it played fast and loose with the facts, but somehow it captured the spirit of the age, and it did so in headlines that were as perfect as haiku. The most creative newspaper in American history, the Weekly World News, broke the story that Elvis Presley faked his death and was living in Kalamazoo, Michigan. It also broke the story that the lost continent of Atlantis was found near Buffalo, New York, and that Hillary Clinton was having a love affair with Pilod, an alien with a foot-long tongue. Well, then, you know, can't really blame her and countless other incredible scoops. None of these stories were, in fact, uh, technically you know, true. That explains why the Weekly World News never won a Pulitzer Prize. But in its glorious heyday in the late 1980s, the supermarket tabloid amazed and amused a million readers a week. But that was then. Now with circulation plunging below 90,000, the tabloid's owner, American Media, has pulled the plug. The August 27th issue will be the last. 
Mainstream journalists read the Weekly World News and dreamed about killing the county sewer system story they were working on and writing about a swamp monster or a 65-pound grasshopper, said Derek Klontz, a Weekly World News editor for 15 years. Most of the tabloid's writers really had escaped from mainstream newspapers, including the Philadelphia Inquirer and the New York Times. We were the Beatles of fake journalism, said Klontz. Uh, it all began in Lantana, Florida, back in 1979, when the National Enquirer bought new color presses to replace its old black and white presses. The Enquirer's owner, an ex-CIA agent named Generoso Pope, couldn't bear to leave the old presses idle, so he founded the Weekly World News as sort of a poor man's Enquirer, which I didn't I think you get lower the Enquirer, but running celebrity gossip and, UNO, and UFO sightings that didn't quite meet the Enquirer's high standards. Eddie Klontz was the mad genius. as the brother of Derek Klontz. He was the mad genius behind Weekly World News. He was a 10th grade dropout from North Carolina and a former copy editor at a small newspaper. He imbued the newsroom with his unique philosophy of journalism. Don't fact check your way out of a good story. In its heyday, the tabloid employed a squad of clippers who read scores of local newspapers and clipped out the weirder stories. But too many facts can ruin a good yarn, so Pope and Klontz encouraged their reporters to embellish a bit. The reporters started spicing up stories with lovely details that came straight from their imaginations. Gradually, true stories became half-true stories, then quarter-true stories, and then, well, the weekly world news as we know and love it today. They'd quote experts explaining how the strange event could occur. Sometimes the experts actually existed. But writers quoted sources identified as a, quote, baffled scientist so often that they started joking about an institution called the Academy of Baffled Scientists, Matt Moniz, honorary president. <laughs> Writer Bob Lind witnessed the birth of Batboy, the tabloid's most beloved character and the subject of an off-Broadway musical. In 1992, Dick Culpa, the newspaper's graphics genius, was trying to turn a picture of a baby into a picture of an alien baby. He gave the kid pointy, Spock-like ears, wide eyes, and fangs. They looked at it and they said, Batboy! And Eddie Klontz turned to his brother Derek and said, Do it. Do it. Derek concocted the story of a creature half-bat and half-boy captured in West Virginia. Bat Child Found in Cave was the headline, but there were many more as the little tyke escaped and was recaptured again and again, constantly fleeing from the FBI. One day, Lynn swears this is true, Eddie Klontz got a call from an irate FBI agent complaining to that the Bureau switchboard was swamped with calls demanding that they free Bat Boy. Eddie said, I'll never do it again, Lynn says. Then he hung up the phone and went on to the next Bat Boy story. In 1999, David Pecker bought American Media, which owned the National Enquirer, the star in the Weekly World News. Young comedy writers replaced a lot of the Weekly World News as old-timers. But it's not just comedy. It's a different skill set, said one of the writers. Circulation plummeted as changes were instituted. On July 24th, the company issued a statement announcing that Weekly World News was folding, quote, due to challenges in the retail and wholesale magazine marketplace. Weekly World News, a tabloid that screamed in joyous horror for 28 years, is now dying with barely a whimper. However, it should live on on weeklyworldnews.com. But we are sad to see the Weekly World News go. I know that as, as a journalist myself, I aspire to someday work for them, mainly because I'm lazy. And I'd rather use my imagination than my tape recorder. So there we go, the passing of the Weekly World News. Matt Moniz, what do you have for us? Oh, I got an anniversary for us. I've got a story here. Um... Exactly 30 years ago this past Wednesday, astronomer Jerry Ingman was looking over a printout of a radio data from Ohio State University's Big Ear Radio Observatory when he saw a striking code and circled it and inscribed the word WOW in the margin. The printout recorded an anomalous signal so strong 
that it had to come from an extraordinary source. Was the burst of human-made interference or an alien broadcast from the stars? No one knows. The source of the wow signal was never heard from again, even though astronomers have looked for it for do- over a dozen times. Now, SETI, the Institute, is gearing up for a look at, at it one more time using the latest tool for seeking signals from extraterrestrial civilizations. The Allen Telescope Array in California. The array combines observations from dozens of separate 20-foot-wide radio dishes to produce an instrument that will eventually become more sensitive than the world's largest single-dish telescope in the Arecibo Observatory, which is in Puerto Rico. Although that area of the sky has been searched dozens of times before, the Allen Telescope Array will bring more sensitivity and a wider spread spectral coverage to the quest. After, single ra- after the single radio burst was detected, astronomers tried to track down the terrestrial cause, but they could find no glitch in the system and no source that could have explained the strength and frequency of the seconds-long signal. Amon said aliens weren't the first thing that came to his mind when he saw the big ear data and just wrote his infamous words. The wow was just an instantaneous response in writing, he said, and I had no expectations other than here's something extremely interesting. Gee, let's try and find out what it is or what it isn't. Airman recently updated his own report on the WOW signal for the 30th anniversary, but the report's conclusions hasn't changed over all of this time. It's still just an open question. What was the source of the signal? He said, we just can't draw any conclusions other than it still allows the possibility that it was a signal from an extraterrestrial civilization. You know, if I had done some advanced production work, here's where I would just have like a a clip of a sports announcer saying, Wow! <laughs> and that's what I'll edit it out and add it in for podcasts. Well, what they're doing here is they're, ju- they're taking all of the, um, the these telescopes and aligning them in a, make, to make one really big one. It's an uh, interferometer for all intents and purposes. What they're making. Sure, and it's, you know we've all seen that scene in the movie Contact where all the, all the antennas point in one direction. So, I mean, maybe... Uh, Maybe it was nothing, maybe it was something significant, but uh, we lack the capabilities now to, to really understand it. But with more uh, more funding into programs like SETI, we'll have, we'll have more opportunity to see if, uh, if we can receive another signal. Speaking of receiving signals, I'd like to receive a signal from Matt Costa right now. The Silent right. Assassin has a story for us that's, I do. that's very interesting. And, and Moniz, you, you might want to, uh, I'm sure you've heard about it already, but I'm sure you'll have something to say on this matter. Scientists claim, claim to have broken the ultimate speed record by making photons travel faster than the speed of light. Exceeding the speed of light, which is, Matt Moniz? 186,000 miles per second. You're good. He, has, he doesn't have a copy of the story which in front of him? Wow. Which is supposed good to be job. impossible, according to Einstein's special theory of relativity. It would take an infinite, infinite amount of energy to accelerate an object through the light barrier. But two German physicists now claim to have forced light to overcome its, ori- of it, overcome its own speed using a phenomenon known as quantum tunneling. In the experiment, on microwave photons, which are en- 
energetic packets of light appear to travel instantaneously between two prisms. This guy is good. When the prisms were placed together, photons fired at one edge passed straight through them. After they were moved apart, most photons reflected off the first prism they encountered and were picked up by a detector. But a, but a few photons appear to tunnel through the gap separating them as if the prisms were still held together. Although these photons had traveled further, they arrived at their detector at exactly the same time as the reflected photons. In effect, they had traveled faster than light. One of the physicists from the university said that this is the only violation of special relativity that they know of. Not true. No? No. Couple that they know of. They don't know what you oh, know. Oh, well, no, this was public. Oh, was the maybe they haven't done the research. Maybe they're lazy. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I don't mean to cut you off. That's all right. No, uh, a couple of guys in Australia, I believe, they did it with subatomic particles, uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, by location. Two, the, they were able to get two of these same uh, subatomic particles to appear in separate locations, basically going faster than light. So but now they're we, up to photons. Should we call this guy and tell him he's wrong? No, you could you could say that now they've got photons, which is still somewhat of a, a subatomic particle. But they, they're small baby steps, baby steps. First walk, I then thought, fly. I thought photon was the ripoff version of laser tag. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I thought photon was like the, was the one, one you bought at like the bargain store. You got it at uh, Woolworths. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, uh, you know how that whole that whole experiment came about, right? One physicist turned to the other physicist and said, "I feel the need." The need for speed and speed of light. All right, well, that does it for the Week and Weird for this week. Remember, if you have any stories you'd like to submit for the Week and Weird, just go to SpookySouthCoast.com, click on the message board, go to the Week and Weird thread, drop the story in there, and if we read it on the air, we will not only give you full credit, but we will also give you a free, fabulous, spooky South Coast bumper sticker. Yes, Which uh, may or may not stick to your bumper. Well, what happens is you stick it on your bumper, and then somebody steals your bumper because they want that spooky they South do. Coast bumper it's, sticker. They're in high out. demand. There is. There's actually, I've been asked by, uh, by uh, the chief of the New Bedford Police, Chief Teachman, to say, please do not give away any more bumper stickers. We're having a huge rash of bumper thefts in the city of New Bedford, and they all just want those stickers. So what we'll do is we'll just give them away for free to people. All you have to do is earn it by putting a story on the Week and Weird thread. So. I'm keeping the pens. Yeah, you can keep the pens. All right, we'll take another break. When we come back, we will have more with Father... Uh, Father Daniel Gargilio about exorcisms, about his investigations into the demonic realm and all things paranormal. And we'll also take your calls here on Spooky South Coast. Don't look now, but Spooky South Coast is creeping up behind you right after this. Lost civilizations, extraterrestrials, myths and monsters, missing persons, magic and witchcraft. Unexplained phenomena. For 58 years, Fate has provided true reports of the strange and unknown. Fate is a factual magazine containing articles by experts in all walks of life and by others just like you who have had something dynamic, significant, and truthful to say. Keep up with the latest on all aspects of the paranormal. Angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, and much, much more. To subscribe, call now at 1-800-728-2730 or visit their website at fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com. What are you waiting for? 
your fate awaits. Welcome back to Spooky South Coast, and our guest tonight hopes that you don't have the devil inside, but if you do, he's the man to call. Father Daniel Gargilio, uh, he's a practicing exorcist and a priest of the Byzantine Catholic Church, and he joins us tonight. If you have any questions for Father Gargilio, you can give us a call, 508 if there's any question you've ever had for somebody who battles the demonic realm, uh, now would be the, the time. I know I have, I have tons of questions, uh, but a lot of them are... I don't even know where to begin because I don't have enough of a background uh, in in religion. But luckily, with people like Father Daniel, uh, we can figure out more of this uh, as we go along. I mean, as a layperson myself, I don't know all the intricacies. I never would have known, for example, that there's actually a prayer I can recite to protect myself against the demonic. I have always thought I'd be going in essentially naked without enough strong faith. So, you know, hopefully. Uh, People who have questions about the demonic will feel comfortable enough to call in and ask. But if not, you can always go to his website, uh, drgargoyle.com, And uh, Father Gargilio, what, what made you choose the, the gargoyle as the, the logo and the name for your group? The gargoyle actually originally comes from a story from the life of St. Romanus, who was the bishop of Rouen, France, in the 6th century. And according to the story, there was a, a monster of sorts, sort of dragon, called uh, Le Gargoui, meaning the gurgler, because it spewed scalding hot water out of its mouth. And uh, it was attacking the town, and St. Romanus, through prayer, managed to basically tame the beast and made it into a guardian. And it is from that that all of the... the uh, gargoyles found on the great gothic cathedrals are modeled after and the basic idea of gargoyles was that they are so ugly that even demons are afraid of them they're not demons themselves so many people misunderstand that judging things by appearances of course we know from the scripture as saint paul says satan is more likely to appear at least initially to you as an angel of light now, when was the first time that a, a demon made its presence known to you? Do you remember Do you remember the first time that you knew you were dealing with a, a demonic entity? Yes, it, it actually has been quite a way with uh, actually a, a, a friend of mine that I had in my late teens who was into, uh, had gotten into... Uh, Satanism, that sort of thing, first as you know, the typical, you know, teenage dabbling, mm -hmm. uh, Ouija boards and that sort of thing. And um, basically uh, I started off as an, an intelligent, good kid who just basically uh, degenerated into a... Uh, Degenerate extreme things, going after uh, uh, drugs and so forth. While this person had absolutely no predilection towards these sort of things to begin with, and um, 
that was the first evidence I saw of what I believe was a demonic infestation. Mm-hmm. And um, there were other similarities. There was a young woman I knew a short time after that who was interested in the Ouija board, basically, the notorious Ouija board. And um, that was the first time I ever encountered someone who did the thing of speaking in languages that they could not possibly have known. She actually started speak, started speaking Latin. She had not studied Latin, mm-hmm. had not come into contact with, with Latin. She started speaking eventually rather uh, uh, prolifically ancient Sumerian type languages. Now, bits of ancient Sumerian are easily found, of course, in books like the little paperback Avon Avon books, Necronomicon, but uh, I think she went a bit beyond that, and that was the first thing that really convinced me as far as that phenomenon is concerned being a reality. And, and then once you see the influence and the impact and the power of, of these entities, uh, when did you first realize that you could actually battle them and, and win? Actually, through my studies, first in the Holy Scripture and in the uh, various books at the time, because like the gentleman said before, don't think that you can do this just by reading books. But on the other hand, do read the books. Mm-hmm. Understand what has gone before you and in order to be ready for what you will um, encounter. And um, I did begin trying little bits of the... Uh, rites of exorcism, this is before I was a priest, but I was just saying them as, as prayers, and as I said, a lay person can recite these prayers effectively. And um, I saw the reaction from the uh, people who were involved in these things. And to, and to this day, uh, that brings to mind something else I want to bring up. If there's anything in this world I take pride in, it's the fact that Satanists absolutely despise me. If you go to several online Satanist forums, you will find the most extreme slander concerning me than you can, that you can possibly imagine. And sorry to say, I'm very sure that you, like many other people who have, con- who have come into contact with me and, and giving me, a, in your instance, having me on the show, are likely to receive hate mail. We receive hate mail for our, almost all of our shows. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's not that we, you know, we don't choose sides uh, in in terms of this, um, in terms of the Satanist debate. I mean, we give equal time in our minds. I mean, people have the right to believe in what they want to believe, oh, absolutely. as long as they're using it for themselves and they're not, you know, using it to in, inflict ill will on others. But uh, unfortunately, what we're seeing is we don't see Satanists who worship Satan because that's what they connect with and that's who they see as, as their, you know, supreme being. They're, they're doing it because they're trying to use demonic forces uh, to manipulate them to their gain and to their benefit. The thing that bothers me is how the media is ignoring it, too. There's a, a 
man on trial right now. In fact, he was just found guilty by a jury in Miami, Florida. Um, he's a member of Anton LaVey's Church of Satan, and he's just been convicted of ritual murder and cannibalism. Well, look at Richard Ramirez. Yes. Uh, well, this, this man's name is uh, uh, Lazaro Galindo. You can look it up in uh, Google News, but the, most of the mainstream media has ignored this story, which has absolutely uh, astounded me. Well, I mean, I think some people are kind of, uh, you know, younger people especially are drawn to that darker side because they grow up, uh, you know, in a, in a church, in some sort of organized religion that, that believes in God, and part of their rebellion, their rebelling process, is they also turn on that religion as well. So, you know, just as somebody will listen to music their parents hate and, and wear clothes their parents hate, they'll also be geared toward the religion that their parents hate. And all that's doing is it's giving them, you know, a fertile young mind for, for somebody else to take hold of and, and control. Yeah, yes, indeed. That, that is uh, very often uh, the thing that does it, uh, teenage rebellion. And also that's unfortunately why a lot of it is ignored when... Uh, like the absolute rash of uh, church desecrations that have happened. I've really seen them proliferating over, proliferating over the past year or so, really, church desecrations, and they happen every time that, ha that it happens, at the end of the article that you read about it, the local police or whoever says, of course, it's really, it's just kids. And maybe it is just kids, but still, look at how common it is. It shows that there's something serious going on. Uh, it, looking at it all together, it's a serious problem. I mean, it, it's 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 hard because, like I said, I mean, we can't really begrudge anybody their belief, and I, I guess part of their belief would be that this destruction and these statements against God and those who worship them are, are a necessary part of, of what they're doing. I mean, is that what it is? Do you think that these are just messages that they're trying to send, or is it that um, they just have to be militant against what, what is the opposite of what they believe? They don't seem to realize that they, I've heard so many uh, satanic types say they don't want to be slaves to God, slaves to Christ, or whatever, and then spend all of their time... Uh, um, blaspheming the same thing which um, what slave doesn't really uh, hate his master you know? mm, true, true. <laughs> that's all that that is they're really um, acting like slaves rather than they're not worshippers of Christ but they're, they're they're acting like slaves to Christ but w one thing we can't um you know, one thing we can't give uh, credence to is when these cults are, um, there's a lot of abuse in these cults, uh, emotional abuse, you know, just mental language, sexual abuse, and, and that's, uh, unfortunately, that's the stigma that's attached to a lot of these groups is that, you know, they're just a bunch of, you know, lecherous, you know, whatever, just sex fiends and... and, and Pedophiles and... And, and so that's kind of the the stigma they're facing as well. But do you, in, in your investigation of these cults and working with police departments, are you finding it to be? Do you think sometimes these cults just exist as a community for these type of people to get together and, and have a reason to do this debauchery? 
what overlaps because the uh, thing more than anything that attracts demonic spirits is suffering. And there's no more extreme sort of suffering than that of a, a child that's been abused um, sexually or otherwise, but especially sexually. Um, and um, Satanists, while they deny it, are absolutely obsessed, I've noticed, with uh, sexuality in such an extreme way. Of course, society in general is obsessed with sexuality, but I mean in a way that they really want to... Uh, well, it's it's the most basest human desire. Yes, of course. The uh, desire and, for reproduction well, after self-preservation, anyway. And on, and on top of that, it's if you look especially at the, the Roman Catholic Church, it's the thing that the Church is the most buttoned up about. So it's it makes it easy to make that be, you know, the, the flagship of, of your anti-Catholic beliefs is to, to throw in their face the, the thing that they don't talk about. It is, it is. And, and of course, there's nothing at all wrong with healthy uh, sexuality, but they go to the extreme, and it's, it's not a healthy sexuality. Once mm-hmm. again, they're, they're being a slave to, in an extreme sense to the exact mores that they claim that they're rejecting by just going as extreme as possible to try to do the, whatever's the opposite thing for what they've Yes. Thought. But what they'll argue is that it's being their choice, not as an order, as what they would say the church is requiring. doesn't make it right, but that's what the excuse they'll use. They're using, like, free will away, right. from, yeah, away from God's control. Uh, it, it's a slippery slope, though, Father. I mean, because, uh, you know, here we are, you know, as a country, we preach freedom of religion, and it's... I mean, I feel bad because there are people who, I, I mean, I know that most of these cults are bad, and I know that what goes on in them, and I, and I know that what they're practicing is A, illegal, B, immoral a, a lot of the time, but I'm also, I, I, I'm not trying to sound like I'm, you know, championing only accepted churches that, that we, you know, that we recognize as, as being these religious entities, but they're always going to suffer that stigma anyway uh, of being, you know, even if they are just organizations that are worshipping something different than what we believe. They're all going to have that stigma attached to them of the the ones that have made the news, essentially. Oh, absolutely. And and I have no problem with any religion or organization that, as long as they're not harming anyone or mm-hmm. breaking the law, I perfectly support their right to exist, even if they call themselves Satanists or and I, I, I think to some degree, too, a lot of the Satanists are just, like, like I said, they're just anti-accepted uh, religion. I mean... They're counters. That's yeah. what they're trying to be. Well, we have a call on the line here, so let's uh, take this call. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. How are you doing? How are you guys? All right. Do you have a question for Father Gargilio? Um. Well, I just was hoping maybe he could have some good uh, reading material to suggest to me. That's me, Luanne. <laughs> Who's had numerous uh, experiences with the demonic in her life. Uh, reading material, uh, books on uh, the uh, demonic possession and exorcism in particular, you mean, or in, on um, 
I don't, I would need to know exorcism. Um, I just actually started reading about the stuff. Keith Johnson had recommended a book to me. Um, well, actually a few books. I've, I've finished one and I've learned some pretty shocking things while, while reading these. Um, from what I understand, I will never be able to leave the demonic behind. It is always going to follow me. Um, as long as I live, it looks like. Um, uh, so far, I've done pretty well on my own without actually delving into the demonic. Um, I was treating it more like a haunting, um, you know, but then now things have been better for years, and then out of the blue, I find myself in the middle of another demonic episode that doesn't really have anything to do with me, but has something to do with someone a long time ago. <laughs> that's not even a living person anymore. Um, so I, I just recently have started getting into more of the demonic. I mean, I, I think it's, it's important for more people to realize that this does really exist. Yeah. Um, they're nothing to play with, and every day people do stupid things that unwittingly bring these things in, you know, and then all of us have them to deal with. Father, wouldn't you agree too that no matter how well versed you think you are and in what's going on when you're conjuring these or demons or summoning them or, or trying to utilize what they can offer, you can't control them. They're stronger than we are, and you know they, they eventually they don't lose; they just eventually give up and move on. No, and by their very nature, they're 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 chaos. That's that's what they are. They uh, they're incarnate chaos. So no, they they can't be controlled for long. Uh, I've noticed that they have trouble even controlling themselves. Yes. They'll, they'll play along for a little while, and then they either say, okay, enough of you control here, or this is boring, I'm going to go somewhere else. Yes, they're very very crafty. The, uh, the uh, scripture says right in the beginning of the book of Genesis, the uh, serpent, Satan, is the most subtle or crafty creature that God had created. So, so scriptures aside, are there any other texts uh, that you've used, that you've utilized to, to study more in, into these entities that, that you could recommend? Or is it, you know, the, the tried and true what we read, uh, you know, in the religious texts is, is what we need to use to, to battle them? Uh, well, I would say uh, one should uh, familiarize oneself with the, the broad spectrum of uh, studies in the matter. Uh, even though I, I can't, you know, rec recommend that people read books on the occult because of the dangers in them. Mm -hmm. I'm sitting here in a room full of them. <laughs> well, I, mean, so I, I feel like a bit of a hypocrite telling people not to, not to read these things when obviously it's necessary if you do want to study them to read the occult literature and know it from the different viewpoints. As far as um, exorcism specifically, Father Malachi Martin's book, Hostage to the Devil, the classic of the matter, uh, Gerald Brittle's book, The Demonologist, about Ed and Lorraine That's Warren. actually the first one I read. Uh, Keith Johnson had recommended that yeah, to me. That's actually the kind of information I'm looking for because um, I don't actually want to study the occult. Um, very the funny thing is, is that 
the way I feel is I don't really care who they are. They just don't belong here. I mean, they, they have a history, and they never belonged here. They weren't born here. Um, I find that my best tactic is ignoring them um, and doing what I need to do. They don't belong here, and I tell them to go. Um, I've had contact now with two of them, um, two separate ones. Um, now, uh, the first one, I mean, that, and this is the part that I don't understand, you know, they, what I've read, they don't, um, they cannot come into our world without us giving them permission. They do have to um, be invited, just like in the legends of vampires. It's really true of demons. They, they have to be invited in some way, though most people don't consciously invite them. I was a child, and I never asked for this, you know, um... I, I don't, I'm not a person who's going to sit down and read books about the occult. I've, I've been trying to stay away from that um, because I'm not a priest. I'm not someone who should be performing exorcisms in but my eyes. sometimes situations you know, I arise. can only exert my own power to keep them. It, it, it's such a long story that, you know, I, I think things like the demonologist, another one that was recommended to me was the Black Hope. I don't know if you've ever heard of that one. Not right offhand, no. No. Well, I mean, Father, wouldn't the best tactic to be uh, at least a layperson who's just trying to learn more, to try to read as many different accounts of demonic encounters to see some of these, the ways that they'll lie to you and, and the tactics that they'll use so you can see the broad spectrum of, of how they attack and, and how they um, begin to infest? That's actually a really good point, Tim, because reading The Demonologist, I realized a whole bunch of other pieces of the picture of things that they were doing around me, but still to the same pur purpose, was to destroy me. Mm -hmm. From day one since they came into my life, they wanted to destroy me. That's their purpose. Actually, I would recommend... And then, you know, reading these accounts, it's like, wow, I don't believe I missed that, you know. So the more I know of their types of activity, if, if I were to see, you know, an actual possession out in real life, that would be beyond me. That is, is something mm -hmm. that I think a priest would be way more qualified for. We're, we're up against a break here, but Father, you are going to say? I would recommend she study, mm -hmm. uh, I think there's a book out, book out on the matter called The Exorcism of Annalise Michelle, which was what the movie The Exorcism of Emily Rose was based on, uh, because of the experiences that she had, I think, give us some insight and, into why God allows these things to happen, which is, is a thing that a lot of people struggle with. I think I, that's something I would recommend, and also, of course, uh, Father Malachi Martin's book, I think, would be the next thing to read after The Demonologist. All right, well, we thank you for calling in, Luana. We have to take a break, though, before we run out of time. So, Oh, great show. Thank you very much, everyone. And, and if you go to drgargoyle.com, he has a, an actual list of some recommended readings, too, you can check out. Well, thanks, guys. All right, and we will be right back uh, after this final break, and we'll get back into it with uh, Dr. I'm sorry, Father Daniel Gargilio, and we'll talk to him about the... Uh, the website, the services that he offers, and you can find out how you can get in contact with him. Uh, we'll be right back here on Spooky South Coast. 
Turn on all your lights, lock the doors, and pull down the shades. Spooky South Coast is back. Welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin Matt Costa and the science advisor Matt Moniz. And uh, we are talking with Father Daniel Gargilio. Uh, you can go to his website, drgargoyle.com. And, uh, Father, one of the, the first things that I saw on that website that I thought, wow, what a, what a great service to put out there, is you actually have the, the prayer of St. Michael on the website for people yeah. to be able to print it out, put it in their pocket, carry it with them, keep it on them, read it every day, recite it every day. And, and that, uh, I, I think I heard you say on Coast to Coast, is the best way people can avoid uh, having conflicts with the demonic. Yes, and I very much recommend that. I would like to see as many people doing that as possible. Is it something that, um, you know, do you need to be quiet and alone and focused uh, and be in a a reverential state, or is it something that, you know, you can just say it when you're on the subway, while you're riding in your car, just something to get that affirmation out there? I believe you could do it anywhere. It could be done more, you know, uh, ritually with lighting a candle or whatever, if you like that, that that if that's uh if that helps but it could be you know taken with you as you said and, and recited anywhere vocally now and you uh, uh you offer you know some investigative services into the paranormal on your website people yes. can contact you there drgargoyle.com but about what percentage of the cases that you investigate do you realize is of a demonic nature i mean i understand you might be in a bit of a different position because you have this this gift and this calling toward it, so that you might be kind of called toward those cases. But uh, is there a, a high percentage of the demonic in, in today's paranormal uh, phenomena? Well, due to my position and focus, I'm sure I get more of them than most. But of the cases I've investigated, I would say less than half, maybe 30, 40 percent, turn out to have some uh, demonic influence. And in how many of those are you able to stop at an early stage, at, at kind of like the infestation stage? If the uh, people involved in the matter are willing to cooperate, then and pretty much all of them. The main thing is they don't do anything to re-invite the uh, demonic forces back into their lives. And and hopefully in the possession cases that you have dealt with, nothing's ever been to the point of a perfect possession where the they gave up and and let it take over. Uh, no, there are there are those who uh, I've tried to help who mm-hmm. have gone into things like that and and stayed in uh, Satanism or dark forms of occultism. As far as people that actually. Uh, go out of their way to seek help. That's, you know, the first step, as it is with any well, serious they, problem. They say that God helps those that help themselves, and I guess that's the same with those who work through God as well, So, yeah. or God works through them. So, mm-hmm. Well, Father Gargilio, we thank you for joining us tonight. We'd love to have you back uh, sometime in the future, and we, we definitely want to get you up here for this this case that we, we like your uh, expertise on. Well, thank you. That sounds very interesting, yes. All right, so uh, you can just go to his website if you want to learn more, drgargoyle.com, drgargoyle.com. Dot com And next week, we will be back here uh, after the Red Sox again with uh, Richard Salva, the author of Soul Journey from Lincoln to Lindbergh. And he's going to talk to us about reincarnation and whether or not Charles Lindbergh 
was the reincarnated soul of Abraham Lincoln. Sounds crazy, sounds out there, but there's a lot of similarities in their lives that, that suggest that it's a possibility. So we will have uh, Richard Salva on to talk about that. And then after that, uh, the September, the Labor Day weekend, we'll have John Kachuba, who wrote a book about ghost hunting uh, through all different types of approaches, uh, from mediums, dowsers, uh, you know, scientific investigators. So we'll talk to him as well. And then I think we're going to try to pull off a, a pretty big show after that on the Mothman. So we'll see what we can put together. But uh, until next week, I am Tim Weisberg. For Matt Costa and for Matt Moniz, we want you all to stay spectacular. Rest assured, listener, that my time here has not been easy, and what you have just heard was not fiction. Although, in many a desperate moment, I most certainly wish it had been. It's over for now, it seems. Or at least, until yesterday begins again. Tomorrow, tomorrow. supernatural is something that isn't supposed to.